And uh, so, Father, we do pray that you would breathe on us and now, and that you would cause our dry bones to come alive in the places, Lord, we may be dead inside. May you breathe by the Holy Spirit on us. Meet us, whether it's on live stream or right here in this room, that, uh, Lord Jesus, we sang before, that you might be glorified in our lives. So we open up our hearts to you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Thank you. Welcome, everyone. Thank you very much. We're on a series on parables, and our theme is, What Will You Do With the Treasure of Your Life? From Matthew 25, the parable of the talent. So if you've got a Bible, go look, find it in your phone. Matthew 25, we'll read it in just a few minutes. Again, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at New Life. So what a great, uh, great text we're going to open today, and it's a great theme. What will you do with the treasure of your life? Uh, this past... Uh, Past few months, I, I read a novel called East of Eden by John Steinbeck. How many of you read that novel, high school, college, or just on your own? It's a great book, a little bit long. It's a brilliant novel. And uh, it was set in the farmlands of California, early 1900s. And it follows the destinies of two families. And at one point, uh, one of the characters, his name is Cal, uh, he's struggling with uh, his dark side, his shadow. He's feeling like evil is just, you know, got a hold of him, and at one point he almost kills his brother, his twin brother, and he finds out at this point that his mother, who abandoned them when they were born, uh, is working as a prostitute and actually running a brothel, and uh, a very horrific brothel, actually. And so he's wrestling whether he is destined to go that same path, because he feels it in the inside, he feels the pressure. So they have a housekeeper, uh, a Chinese housekeeper, which is a big thing in the early 1900s, named Lee. And uh, Lee's a very interesting character in her book, but Lee is trying to help him. And Lee researches the story of Cain and Abel from Genesis chapter 4. And uh, basically comes to him and says, no, you don't understand that God, uh, you're not, your life is not predestined to go bad. That you actually have a choice. And he introduces him to the Hebrew word timshel. So say the word with me, ready? Timshel, all right? And it's the Hebrew word that means thou mayest. And it comes from the verse in uh, Genesis 4 where God says to Cain, Cain's uh, thinking about killing his brother Abel. And the Lord says to Cain, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, dominate you, but you may, thou mayest, rule over it. Now you have a choice, Cain. And uh, so this Hebrew word, timshel, and so here's actually what it says at this moment, what uh, Lee, the housekeeper, says to this fellow Cal. He says, but the Hebrew word, the word timshel, thou mayest, that gives a choice. It may be the most important word in the world that says the way is open. For if thou mayest, it is also true that thou mayest not. Don't you see? Thou mayest. Why, that makes a man great. It is easy out of laziness or out of weakness saying, I couldn't help it, the way was set. But think of the glory of the choice. That makes a man a man. A man is a very important thing, maybe more important than a star. It's this ability to make a choice. Thou mayest, you know, Tim Shell. So the, the title today is, What Will You Do... <laughs> with the treasure of your life. Because, you see, God doesn't force it on you. You, you have choice. Thou mayest, Timshel. 
And, uh, and, and so th- this parable, like all parables of Jesus, is, is meant to shock us. Now, you can read a parable, and, and we're going to read it in just a moment. You can just kind of, you know, observe it from the outside, uh, be a spectator. Or, as Jesus intended, you can penetrate into the parable. You could kind of like enter in and, and put yourself in it. So uh, we're going to read it. And what I'm going to ask you to do is I read it to kind of enter the story and put yourself in it and, and, and feel it. Okay, and then we'll expound on it from there. Okay, so Matthew 25, uh, it's a bit long, verses 14 to 30. Okay, Jesus is speaking here. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Maybe some of you have heard it, one talent, five talents, two talents, one talent. It's translated here, bags of gold. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the man with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold? See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man who had two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold? See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Now we get to the climax of the uh, parable. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I know that I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out, and I hid your gold in the ground. So he, see, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would receive it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. How about that for an ending, huh? All right, so it begins that Jesus is the, uh, the man who goes on a journey. And he calls his servants. Now, this, is, this parable is spoken to people who consider themselves believers. Okay, it's speaking to folks who are Consider them as Christians, all right? The Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious people, are all sitting there. And the image is he, he entrusts to us uh, wealth. And, um, but understand, the wealth belongs to Jesus. And it says, each according to their ability receive a certain amount. So for the sake of just to get the impact of the parable, one person gets five bags of gold. Now we're going to, this was actually the, the, the word talent, which is the original Greek word, I mean, it's the largest quantity of money known in the Greek language at that time. So we're just going to call it uh, $50 million. So one guy gets 
$50 million from Jesus, five bags of gold. The second person gets $20 million, two bags of gold, $20 million. And the third person gets $10 million. That's a lot. It's a lot of money. Imagine someone giving you $50 million. And it's not yours. So, so now let me just define. We, we all are, so, so the image, it's all grace, right? God, salvation is a gift. We come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's all grace. Christ died, rose from the dead. To become a Christian is free gift grace. We're here because it's a miracle. But we're not just, Jesus doesn't come to die simply to save us. He comes to actually, not just save us, but to move us out to the world to be servants, to give something to the world. And that's what this parable is about. So, so let me explain this, this wealth. What is the wealth that you've been given here? And I'm going to give you just a, a few categories. It's more than simply, you know, money. You have been given bags of gold. Great wealth, all of us. Natural gifts. Every natural gift you have or ability. Friends, it was all given to you. It's a gift. Any spiritual gift you may have. Given to you. You didn't earn it. It was just given to you from God. So whether it's gifts to serve or teach or lead or help or pray for people or be you know, pastoral and kind to people at work or in your neighborhood, to be merciful or discerning, to be able to, to organize and administrate, to be able to share Christ, to be able to, to be in the arts or, or music or writing, to be able to be in business and, and engage business and, and generate money, uh, to, be, to be kind. I mean, actually, your story, your education, anybody who's invested in you to give you some abilities, friends, you didn't earn it. It was all a gift given to you by God. And it's not just your natural gifts and spiritual gifts and abilities. It's also your failures and your mistakes and your experiences in life. Do you understand? The story of your life is a gift. You were born at a moment in time in a particular place to a particular set of parents in a particular family. It was a gift. Even the difficulties and trials and setbacks, they were all gift. Every experience you've accumulated is a gift. Every suffering. Your age is a gift. The country you were born is a gift. The color of your skin is a gift. Your ethnicity. The fact that you're in New York City is a gift. The United States right now. The time you have has been entrusted to you. I mean, the time that you're actually living on earth and alive. I mean, the fact that you're here listening right now, do you understand? It's been entrusted to you. This life. It's given to you by God. Any and every opportunity that is before you has been given to you by God, entrusted by you. Any material wealth you have, any job you may have that generates money, do you understand? God has given you the ability to even work and generate that money. So you may live in a, a hotel uh, at, a, at a shelter run by the city and living on government subsidies, but even that's a gift. You didn't earn that either. It's a gift. Everything's a gift. So we sit here, all of us, right now, having been entrusted with enormous wealth. Now again, the quantities given in this parable are $50 million, imagine, $20 million, okay, $10 million. It's the lavishness, it's the abundance, that the parable is meant to communicate enormous wealth given to us as Christ followers. So we're, we are to know what are, we need to know what are these riches I've got. And we're to actually value them, and then we are to actually put them to use to help people. Very simply, know what they are, value them, and then use them to help people. That's the whole little point of the parable. So what happens is the guy with the 50 million, he goes out and he earns, an, he goes out there, he earns another 50 million, 100 million. The guy with 20 million, 
He goes out, puts it to work, and he generates, he doubles it. He's got 40 million. All right, now, so here we are. Now, uh, very excited. When they return, Master, you entrust me with five bags of gold. I've gained, you know, five more. And, and so Jesus says, well done to both of them. Well done, good and faithful service. You know, f- f- fantastic. And he says it to both the guy with the 50 million and the person with the 20 million. But the, the parable climaxes with this fellow in verse 24. Because he has $10 million. Still a lot of money. And he comes and he says, listen, I know you're a hard man. You know, Jesus, and I, you know, I, I know you're tough, and I was afraid. So listen, I didn't lose it. I, I mean, if I gave somebody $10 million and they didn't lose it, I'd be kind of happy. Because, I mean, I, imagine giving somebody $10 million and they come back and they invested it in some crazy stock and they come back with nothing. I want to shoot the guy, all right? So the guy came back with $10 million, all right, but, but uh, he hid it in the ground. He does nothing with it. And then it's the response of Jesus that's so, that's so intense. He says, you, you know, you wicked, lazy servant. And, uh, and throw him out, worthless, you know, servant outside. Uh, you, you missed the whole point. And uh, he plays it safe. Do you understand? Like, he, he, he doesn't get worse, right? He just, he's keeping it safe and secure. And that's the problem. He makes a stupid choice. He, it's a lost opportunity. He, he misses his chance. He, do, he doesn't get that who, who God is, who Jesus is, and how lavish and generous and overwhelmingly kind he is. He sees Jesus as kind of this tight-fisted, hard Lord, even though he calls him Lord, Master, considers himself a Christian, his whole image is one of stingy and tight, and so he's playing it safe. And so he doesn't do anything with it. He just buries it in the ground. He keeps going. It reminds me of a Christian who once said to me, at the end of my life, I'm going to say to God, hey, he's a married guy, Lord, you know, I never had an affair. And I thought to myself, that's it? Like that to him was a successful. Like I said, no, that, you, you missed the whole point. Said, just, just burying it in the ground and not making it worse is not what Jesus is after. And, uh, and, and so it's basically, he, the guy did nothing with what he had been given, the enormous wealth. It's like you, he, he's lost because he did nothing. Use it you know, or, or lose it. What's so interesting here is if you look at all the warnings about hell in the New Testament from Jesus, and there's some really intense ones like this one, Every time Jesus speaks about hell, he is speaking to people who consider themselves believers. He never talks about hell to people on the streets. Tax collectors and pagans. He speaks about hell to those who are in church. To warn about wasting your life. About being asleep. It's not for murder this person goes to hell. It's not for immorality. It's not for stealing. It's for refusing to take this incredible wealth given as a gift and actually going out to serve other people with it. For that reason, the person is lost at the end. And it is meant to shock us. So the question is, you know, do you, you know, knowing your, our treasures, valuing them, and using them to help others is the most important decision of your life as a Christ follower. I want to say it again. This one decision informs every decision you make the rest of your life. Knowing the fact that you have been given, en- not, not just a little treasure, enormous treasure from Jesus. And that you are to actually, like, value them. Like, whoa. Okay? And then 
use them as best you're able to actually help other people. That one decision, says Jesus, informs everything. In other words, what are you doing with the treasure of your life? Which is our title. Your life matters more than you realize. I want to say this very clearly. You have been called to greatness. I want to say it again. Your life is meant by God to be great. Where at the end he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Now there was a, there's a word, and this is now for all, anybody in high school here, uh, this is going to be maybe on your next SATs or GREs. It's the word magnanimity, okay, magnanimous. Okay? It's, it's, a, it's a very it's an important word in, in the Middle Ages in church history. People like Thomas Aquinas wrote whole volumes about it. And uh, it's the word for, uh, for, for striving for greatness. And so, what, so magnanimity, okay, it's going to be on your SAT. Send me a check when you get 10 extra points, all right? And here's what magnanimity means. It means pursuing greatness in life. It's deciding in favor of the greatest possibility of what your life can be. It is asking the question all the time throughout your life, what has God given me, and how can I use it as best I can? It's very simple. That's a magnanimous person. It actually literally means magnanimous person as a person who has a great soul. That's the invitation of this parable, is to magnanimity, to greatness of soul. To say, God has given me this. I'm not going to bury it out of fear. I'm going to ask you, God, I'm going to pursue greatness even though it scares me. I'm going to step over it. And, God, what have you given me and how can I, I use it? So uh, the question was, why do so many people settle for mediocrity? Why do so many people not pursue greatness? We just, I mean, we feel demand too much. Why do we take the path of least resistance? And why do we bury our treasures? So many of us, we just buried it. And I'm going to give you just a, quick, a few quick thoughts about why, because I think it's important to understand where it's coming from, because it's so common. For many of us, it comes from our families that, and cultures we grew up in. You were told your whole life, it's never enough. You're a loser. You're a bum. You're inadequate. It's never good enough. You're no good. Don't speak up. Don't take up space. Don't take risks. Play it safe. And so we carry these scripts, these, these, these kind of ways that we're supposed to live. It's deep inside of us, millions of miles of film in our heads that we're not great, that we're nothing. And you're a loser. And so we, we go out there and we just kind of, we're so tentative. We don't step out. We, don't, we want everything to be perfect just in case. And uh, we don't move. It's like, you know, and we're told by our families growing up. And I know, it's funny, I, I tell this to my own kids. Like, you know, hey, you know, like, be secure. Like, like be safe. Get your 401k. Make sure you're all set for retirement. And you're going to be all right. Don't get crazy out there. Don't go too beyond the lines. And, and as parents, we just naturally do that to our kids. Many of us, it's so deep in us. Our, the whole culture says, right, security, safety, don't risk it. Don't go out there. I, I like what William Carey in the 17, 1787, and uh, he was in England at the time, and brilliant guy, and he felt he wanted to do something great with his life for God. And he wanted to go to India. And... I don't know if it was his family member or somebody very close to him says, sit down, son. He says, I want to go to India. Sit down, son. When God chooses to save India, he will do it without your help. 
And I think some of us know that kind of a voice. When we had this kind of a dream or vision, we might do this like, ah, shut up, sit down. God will get it done without you. He's been doing fine the last hundred million years. Many of us carry deep fears. We're perfectionists. We will only step out if we know we're not going to make a mistake and look foolish. We fear rejection. We fear disaster. Some of us are so pessimistic that the, the cup is always half full. We're always thinking the worst scenarios. I'll mess it up. And so we got this command in the Bible 110 times. Fear not. Do not be afraid. God says it to Abraham. God says it to Isaac. God says it to Jacob. He says it to Moses. He says it to Ezekiel. He says it to, to Isaiah. You go right through the whole Old Testament. You get to the New Testament. He says it to Mary. He says it to the 12 disciples. He says it to Paul. Do not be afraid. And he says it to you. You're called to greatness. Don't be afraid. I've entrusted enormous wealth for you, to you. I am good you can trust me. It'll be safe out there. You can make mistakes. I want you to step out with it and help people. Many of us, and I hear this all the time. Some of you are teenagers in this room or listening. You know, uh, just, a, you know, I'm 16. I, my gosh, my mother still makes my bed. My gosh, you know. I don't know, greatness, you know, or I'm in my 20s. I'm just trying to figure out and get a job as an intern, a free job. You know, I'll work for free. Just hire me. I'm just trying to get started, you know. And some of you in the 30s, I don't know, greatness. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just trying to get established in life and get my right career moving here. And some of you in your 40s, by the time you get your 40s, you already had a bunch of failures. You're saying, oh, my gosh, greatness, that passed me by. And the time you get to be 50 to 60, they're telling you, well, that's, your life is over anyway. I mean, that's done, you know. You're finished. You're retired now. Just go and sit down. And so we've got these cultural messages about our age that's never the right age. You know, I've got a, a, one of my uh, mentors told me uh, years ago, and this fellow had studied Fortune 500 CEOs for many years, and he'd worked with many of them. And he'd studied then Christian leaders as well around the world. And he said to me, Pete, I'm gonna, my first conversation with him, he said, Pete, I'm going to tell you this once, and I want you to write it down and don't ever forget it because you're not going to believe it. I said, all right. And uh, he says, your best years, this is, I was, this is probably you know, this is in my 40s, late 40s, early 50s. He says, your best years are going to be in your mid-60s. Your best decade of a person is going to be their mid-60s because they, they've, if they've been faithful, they've been building up, learning, growing. God's been depositing in their life and in their mid-60s is your best 10 years because then you've got something to actually offer the world. You're free from all the ambition and all the craziness and your second best decade, if you're faithful to Jesus, is going to be your mid-70s. <laughs> and he goes, your third best decade will be your mid-50s. He goes, don't believe that lie from the culture. It's just not true. So I'll so I want to encourage you in your 20s, relax, all right? You got 40 more years of mistakes to make, all right? You'll, you'll get there. You know, Amy Carmichael was a, a, a British missionary, uh, and uh, she, she went to India, early 1900s, and she lived there for 50 years before she died. And she went to an area where there was always temple slave, slavery for ch of children, you know, lack of hospitals. And she built a community to rescue these kids and schools. She did tremendous work. And, uh, and then she fell into a deep pit 
uh, by accident, and she, and she severely broke her legs and her ankle uh, in such a way that it could never heal properly, especially where she was living in that part of the world. And she prayed to God, heal me, you know, and, and God said to her, she writes in her journal, no. And so she spent the last 20 years of her life in one room, okay, on her back. And you would think, okay, it's over for you. And she writes that the most important breakthroughs in her life came on those final 20 years of isolation. Her understanding of Jesus, of herself, and then she, she began to, she was always writing, but now she began to write with some depth. Her writings at that time swept the world and left a global impact. Her most fruitful time came out of her most isolated time. You know, God sees things very differently than we see them. So often, we get so impatient, we think we're out there, okay, we're using our little bit of wealth, it doesn't feel like much to us, it's enormous, it's like nothing's happening, and we just say, well, I guess it ain't working for me. And we get very impatient, because we don't understand the way the kingdom of God works. And many people in Galilee were so confused by Jesus. They were like expecting something cataclysmic, come make it happen, Jesus, you know. Like in the Old Testament, some, some enormous power. Jesus says, no, no, you don't get it. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Like it's really small. It's like a grain of a mustard seed, you know. It's this, it's this little thing. And it moves in, in such a, it's not, it's not an oak tree. And a, a, a mustard seed, it really should be smaller than that. That's probably corn from a box, all right. But, but. It's a little grain. And, and in, in ancient Palestine, a mustard seed would grow into a plant of like three to four feet, like a bush. I mean, it's not very impressive. It's not like a redwood tree from California. It's not like an oak, a massive oak tree. You know, it's, 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 it's a bush. And Jesus says, you don't understand, guys. The kingdom of God is like, it's, it's so hidden. It, it's so small in some ways, but it's powerful and and. and God is, God is doing it. You've got a little piece to play. So you've got to keep this in mind. You're called to greatness. At the same time, in the large scope of things, it can appear like we, have very, we, we do a little thing, and then God takes the rest. I mean, it's God who's doing all the work so that this little seed, say we throw, a, you, you do your part. You go out with your, with your riches, and you, you go help somebody. You do a little thing. And before you know it, that little thing you did turns into that. It's my favorite little image here. Massive harvest. Let me give you another image with this. Uh, we, that's why we're not to lose patience. Uh, the harvest is sure to come, but it's this God who's incredibly big, incredibly generous, incredibly lavish. We just do a little part, but our little part's a big part. So in my, in, in, uh, my Queens neighborhood, uh, they, every now and then the parks department comes by and they want to plant trees. All right, now that's a, you see that little skinny tree? I took it this morning, all right, a little cloudy there, but a little skinny tree. So about 15, 20 years ago, they came to my house, and they said, do you want a tree? I said, sure. So they planted this little skinny tree. It looked like, it really looked just like that. I mean, it looked like it was going to die any minute. I was like, oh, my gosh, you know. So I was, like, really concerned about the tree. So what I did was, you know, you only got one tree. So I'm like, so I go out there every day for a couple of months, and I watered that tree. I just put that hose on. I just watered that thing. My neighbor never watered his tree. I just watered my tree. I'll show him. I'll water my trees. <laughs> so what happened was, and I did it two months and I stopped. But that little tree grew into a monster, okay? Look at it. All right? You can't even see my house, all right? And what's so amazing is I didn't do, I didn't do hardly anything. I realized just a little bit of water. A couple of months, I stopped. Things 
like, like right now, it's all over my house. And squirrels, I'm like, I call the city, cut it. They're like, no, no, it's not on the power lines. We're not cutting it. I'm like, they said, you got to cut. You got to hire somebody, three, $4,000. You got to get a permit from us, and you got to cut it. I'm like, oh, my, I should never have watered the tray, I'm saying to myself. <laughs> but it's a great image because what did I do? It's like the whole, the whole Christian life. Yes, we've got this enormous wealth, but at the same time, it, it is, it is a large scale of things. You say, well, it doesn't seem like much. And we, don't, we, don't, we just do a little bit with it. But it's, it's God who's doing a harvest. Do you understand? God's, I, don't, I don't know chemistry. I don't, I'm not a, you know, agriculturalist. I don't, all that God was doing to make that tree that tree, all that God does in taking a seed, God's working in all your lives so much before you ever walked in the door today. He, God is just working all over the place. So he says the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. So like, I, I think of this, when I was in, young, in college, a young girl knocked on a girl named Sally's apartment. And she said, would you like to hear about Jesus Christ? And my friend Sally opens the door, lets her in. She becomes a Christian eventually. So she, Sally's now a Christian, three, four weeks. And so uh, Leslie was her name when knocked on the door. So she does a little seed, you know, to Sally. Three, four weeks later, I'm at a party. It's three o'clock in the morning. And Sally starts talking to me about Jesus. And I start asking her all these, what I thought were intellectual questions. Sally could not answer any of them. Okay, she goes, I don't know anything we're talking about, Pete, but why don't you just come to church with me on Sunday? So I said, all right. So I go to church. I get to this church, and there's all these guys from California with long hair, and they're like drumming, you know, they're drumming, you know, and, and they're singing songs, and bam, I become a Christian. Okay, but you understand, like, the one who knocked on her door, she's a little seed. Sally did a little seed talking to me at a party. Couldn't even answer my questions. Just dragged me to church. The guys from California strumming their guitar. I mean, like, do you understand? But it was all God, wasn't it? It was just all God. But that's, God, God is doing an enormous amount all around us. So it, it, it seems like the seed is so little, but in God's economy, the seed is a forest. It's just massive. That's why it's so important. So the question is, what are you going to do with the treasure of your life? Jesus says to the to the two folks who, who, who invested in, he, said, they say, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. This is beautiful. And, um, you know, only you can live the life you've been given. You understand? No one can live it for you. It was entrusted to you. And the most important thing in life is not what other people think. It really doesn't matter. You, in this parable, you will stand before Jesus. And the question will be, what have you done with the enormous wealth and call to greatness that he's given to you in life? Have you gone out there in life and basically offered to help people with it? Or just kind of say, well, I got my 401k, everything's good, everything's safe. That is the single goal in life. I like what Kierkegaard wrote many years ago. He goes, every human being that is preoccupied with being like others is a wasted life. A lost life. I know your parents had a plan for your life. I know your teachers had a plan for your life. I know the culture tells you how you should live your life. Everyone's got a plan for your life. It doesn't matter what people think. What matters is Jesus. It goes, Christianity addresses this question to each individual. His point is, at the end of time, it's about you as an individual. Are you willing to be salt in the earth? What faith it takes to believe 
that one's life is noticed by God, and that is enough. What faith it takes to believe that one's life is noticed by God, and that actually is enough. Few of us can, um, can't even imagine God saying to us at the end, well done. Like, we can't even imagine such a thing. Like, well done, good and faithful sir. We're like, because we, we come from families, I, we never heard a compliment. I had one guy, I said, I said one guy walking out for a service, I said, I said, I want you to try to say it after me. I have greatness. He goes, ah, I, he just couldn't even do it. He goes, it's so hard to get my brain around Jesus ever saying to me, well done. Because we have this vision, you know, here's what he's going to say to us. Well, we get to heaven. Jesus, Jesus says, well, you made it. Barely, you know. Or he's going to say, well, you messed up a lot. You could have done better, but I'll give you a C. You go sit over there in the back, all right? I'll call you later. Or he's going to say, you know what, you... I'm a little disappointed. You could have done a lot better than you did. And our image of God is so twisted up. It's not him. That was the problem with that third servant. He didn't have a relationship with the true Jesus. He had a, he had a harsh taskmaster. It was this legal negotiation. It's this incredibly lavish God who is all about grace and loves us. We think God's a cop. I get nervous when I see, I saw a state trooper you know, yesterday, and I told my daughter, every time I see a state trooper go by with the lights flashing, I get like a knot in my stomach. I don't even know what I did. I just feel like I did something wrong, you know? And, you know, we've got this angry, you know, father or disinterested father, and, and we, we, we just, we, we miss it that, that Jesus came to reveal the father. He's our father, our father in heaven, who runs after us, and, and he hugs us. You know, Luke 15, with compassion, he kisses us. He is not a perfectionist. Okay, it's all salvation's grace. We are to go out there. We're going to fall. We're going we're gonna to fail. We're going to mess up. We're going to learn by mistake. It's good. He's all good. It's like I say to people, just show up for time alone with God. The fact that you showed up and you fell asleep, at least you showed up. He's happy. It's wonderful because he loves you. Do you understand? Guys, Moses was a murderer. David was a murderer and an adulterer. Jacob was a liar. Abraham lied about his wife a couple of times. I mean, Mark deserted Paul. Peter, you know, he denied Christ. The 12 disciples denied. They left Jesus. Timothy was afraid. Peter had a short fuse. I mean, these guys were a mess just like us. But he's able to say, well done. Because you know what? They stepped out. They got out there to help people. It's just like, it's like, oh, fantastic. You trusted me enough to get out there. You led this small group and half the group left. But you got out there. You did it, you know. You ushered, but the person got offended. But you did it, you know. You gave it a try. It's wonderful. And just like you're out there because you're trusting that he's, he's, he's here. He's safe. You know, God is good. He's my father and he loves me. That's why we want you, I want you to look at the big view of your life, the long picture. That's what God's looking at. That's why this thing called discipleship is so important. The world's not living like this. This is, this is the exact message, opposite of the world. Every message you're getting, that's why we're committed to discipleship at New Life Fellowship and, and getting into classes and, and learning silence and solitude and learning about your treasure and how do I give it away and how do I improve and how do I become a person of prayer? How do I know this God who's so lavish and generous? You know, there's a, there's a, a story about Adolf Eichmann and he was a... Uh, uh, Hannah 
Arendt, Arendt, who was a political philosopher, she did a study of this guy. He was like the number three person involved in the Holocaust, the killing of six million Jews. And he finally got caught in 1961 and brought to Israel for trial. And she went there on behalf of the New Yorker magazine to figure out, like, how could this guy be such a monster? How could a person be capable of such enormous evil? And she wrote a book about it. It's a fascinating book. And here's what she said. She goes, what was so amazing about being there at the trial was this guy was so ordinary. He was so common. He wasn't demonic. He wasn't monstrous on the surface. He just didn't have any convictions. She goes, he, he just, he was thoughtless. He didn't stop. He didn't think. He just kind of did what everybody else was doing around him, which was this mass murder. And she writes this. She goes, if we lose, and she's talking about all totalitarian regimes and all craziness. She goes, if we lose our capacity for solitude, where we can actually think and ponder. She goes, we basically, she says, if we can't be alone with ourselves, we risk getting caught up in the crowd. And we're no longer able to distinguish right from wrong, beautiful from ugly, and we end up being swept away by what everybody else is doing and believes in. And that's why our great passion for you at New Life is that you get to God this thing called discipleship, because God knew exactly what he was doing when he made you. You got the only life we've got. So I want to invite the, usher, the worship team, come on forward here. And it's not that you're Adolf Eichmann, please, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is it's really easy for you, and it's really easy for me to just, in a sense, fall asleep and get swept up by the crowd around me. And i just thinking about safety and security and really not knowing and value and giving away what God's given to me. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me for a moment. Let me say this again. God knew exactly what he was doing when he created you. When you were born, where you were born, what country you were born, he knows all about your gifts, your ability, your temperament, your weaknesses, your limits. He knows it all. So now God invites you to take your life and to actually offer it as a gift to the world, not just for a summer internship, not just for a whim for a weekend. It becomes your life. And you may be standing here today saying, you know what, I just, I, I gave up. I tried, I got out there, you know, and, 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 and I don't know, it just didn't work for me. And now I, God's coming to you today. He's saying, I gave you $50 million. You are rich in my sight. And your little means a lot. And he says, get up. Trust me in this thing. Or maybe you've been betrayed. Maybe you got hurt along the way. Maybe you feel like, God, you took me places I didn't want to go. Trust me in this. The little bit you'll do with your life, God will do in wait, something you never imagined. It. And he says to you, you know, get up on all this. Or maybe you've allowed a sin to get in. It doesn't take a lot to get stuck. One bitterness, one hatred, one bad decision. All of a sudden, we're so wrapped up internally, we can't see straight anymore. And we're not thinking about anybody else. All we're thinking about is ourselves. And God's coming to you today. Or you know what? Today may be your day to become magnanimous. You couldn't even say the word yesterday, all right? Greatness. And uh, to respond to the call of God that you actually are called to a great life. And today's your day to say, to hear the words, do not be afraid, but rise up. And take that wealth God's given you and actually begin to use it to serve other people. So I'll close with one verse here. Uh, what are you going to do with the treasure in your life? 
Jesus closes the parable with this. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever has, you've got what you've got now. If you'll use it, he says, I'm going to give you even more. So you have 50 million, you made 100 million, Jesus, I'm going to throw another 20 million extra here. And I have seen people, I can see you in this room. Your life was one thing. You were faithful. You've been out there, in a sense, using what God's given you. And I don't even recognize you years later because you're a different person because he just threw in a whole bunch more wealth to you. And you became a level of greatness that could never have been imagined when you first got started. And that promise is all true. And so I want to invite us to sing this great song we sang, the offering song, Kate, that we're going to sing. You put the words up to that song. And uh, that our dry bones might live. Let's sing it together. Uh, let me invite the uh, prayer teams to come forward to uh, your right. And we got the Lord's table up here to your left. Now listen, I, I, I'm no fool to think that you could do this on your own strength. I mean, I, I won't make it a day without the breath of God. I mean, there's so much resistance coming against living this kind of a great, magnanimous, great life. But Tim shall, thou mayest. But the Spirit of God, it's like this, think of a, I don't even sailing once. You put a sailboat, you put that sail up, and the wind carries a sailboat. What we do is we open up our, our palms, we open up our lives every day towards God, every single day. And as I do, and as you do, He, by His power of the Holy Spirit, carries us. Do you understand? You can't do this without the Holy Spirit. It's impossible without God. But with God, all things are possible. So how are you at 23 years old going to live the next 60 years of your life? Think about that. 60, 70 years of your life saying, okay, Lord, the wealth you give me, as it comes to me, Lord, I want to give it away. I mean, that is going to take God in your life. That kind of a surrender to him on a daily basis. Breathe, oh, breath of God, come alive. So we're going to close here. And I want to invite forward if your treasure is buried, I mean, it's, it's been buried, and I know you, there's a lot of reasons out there, and I heard a few after first service. We can blame a lot of reasons why you're, you're buried treasure right now. But I want to invite you right now to hear the word of the Lord in this simple parable that Jesus says to you that you have been called to greatness, and we don't have any other life on earth like yours. And the Lord is calling you today to rise up with your little treasure you've got. It may seem little, but it's big. And to say, okay, Lord, I'm yours. And to offer it to him today. Okay? And I'm going to invite you to come forward for prayer and asking the Lord to, you know, to touch you, or repent, turn around. But friends, we need the breath of God. We need each other as a community, but we need the breath of God. Because the evil one wants to cut you off and crush you. Make no mistake about it. It's a warfare. So I want to invite you to open your hands up towards heaven and receive a blessing as we close this place, close our time here together. So may God breathe on you now. May the wind of the Holy Spirit blow into your life now, through your hands, into your mind, into your heart. And may the Lord take your one individual life and may the Lord carry you forward. And may the Lord give you grace. May he open up that your soul, enlarge it, that you might be filled with his power, 
and filled with his presence and filled with his love. And may God grant you courage to step over your fears and become the great woman, the great man that he has destined for you since you were in your mother's womb since the beginning of time. So be blessed now in the name of Jesus you leave this place. And may your life be a gift to the world. In the name of Jesus, I bless you. And everybody said, amen. Amen, everybody. God bless you. Thank you.